Hello, it's Idea of Evil, it's episode 17 of Idea of Evil. I'm Reuben Carter, we are approaching the home stretch. Well, Gareth, nice. I only have one question for you for this, to start off this episode. Go on. Have you ever been scared by a scarecrow? <laughs> I, I don't think so. I don't think I've ever actually seen a real scarecrow. The... I can tell you that in Scotland, you can just put a bin bag on a stick and it's so windy that the bin bag just rattles like crazy and that scares all the birds away. So just a a crazy bin bag on a stick is enough. Yeah, that's what we call the the lazy man scarecrow. Yeah, I've never seen like a straw filled scarecrow despite growing up around farmland for for much of my life i'm i feel like they're a they're a either an american import or a um or a myth they do exist i am trying to think though of if you really see no you know what i would see because i grew up around farmland you would just see it wouldn't be your classic scarecrow with craft put into it (laughs) it would be someone's shirt like an old flannel shirt or something. And you would just put it on a like a, a cross of wood. Yeah, I might have seen one of those, I guess. That doesn't seem Which to classify I, for me. No, I think that's... Yeah. I think the only true scarecrows I've really seen are Halloween. Oh, that's... Yeah. Maybe I've... Although remembering, I seem to remember there was... I may have been with my parents to some kind of scarecrow festival in some small english town where people the, the like wi- put wicker up, man yeah something like that but where people put up scarecrows to kind of like display and everybody walked around the town and kind of pointed at them and were like oh scarecrows but none of them as far as i remember they were just like spider-man and they were just like yeah, spider-man stuffed with straw or like a stinks yeah something like that so it was like bad halloween in england yeah. um so that's also not scarecrows but why are you spoiling the appearance of the scarecrows reed there's so much material before we get to the scarecrows well listen i just thought not to we'll, we'll get to that material but i just thought considering it's uh the the date of recording this is oh yeah you know the the back half of october i know i know despite uh your your fair isles inventing the <laughs> celebration of the great Sawain. Sawain? Whoever says that aloud, aside from druids. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> druids, but druids with ponytails who live in like yeah, apartments. Yeah. You know? Saw Sawain. No, I guess actually maybe if you actually speak like Irish or Scottish Gaelic or something, you maybe you have occasion to say Sawain. Just so that's after, not fair. It, you say it in the same sentence where you say marrow. Yeah, you're talking about marrow, sawain, and kelpies, and yeah, all yeah. all the good things. Um, Some classic Celtic chat. Because we, this has been the the payoff to the longest, most excruciatingly scheduled podcast thing, where we planned that the only appearance of scarecrows and living pumpkins in Berserk, we timed it. So it would be in time for the the episode for Halloween. A two-year project that just paid off, yeah. Yeah, it's like how many chapters? Like close to 400 chapters of this. And we 
engineered this down to yeah down to the the day to make sure that it worked out this way complete serendipity i was really actually pleased by that i think the the universe has smiled on our podcast yeah well done us and also the universe but what's so what's spooky here is really is really guts slow decline physically and mentally Think that's the spooky thing that we're starting with in in this episode yeah so we're picking back up from he can't see he's right got, it suggests that guts is going blind yeah but i don't know how much of that is you, you gotta you know factor in the magic right yeah how much is the magic that's contributing true. to his eyesight failure um he's having a tough time though i after the last episode when we're like there's no real consequence anymore (laughs) for him using that armor i think like the first chapter we pick back up they're like no there's definitely consequences (laughs) and (laughs) here's here's some of them he like thinks about skull knight he thinks about all sorts of things as he uh yeah he's having a tough time yeah The, the the wolf is at the door Wait, well, it's, it's just this this thing of him like this very makes you realize that he, it's a bit like that that previous bit that we had where guts is like oh yeah i forgot that i'm missing an arm and i have a metal arm that doesn't actually really work for things that are not killing other people or monsters um and it's kind of similar where you're like you get used to guts missing an eye and then you're like he's looking at a lamp and then it kind of shows his perspective and all he can see is like some of the a slightly strange shape that's coming from the light just like a curve of light he can't even identify the lamp itself he just sees like a kind of blurry thing and you're like yeah this is pretty vulnerable for guts because he he has only one eye and so yeah 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 it reminds you of that like which is yeah it's weird it's a weird another weird moment in the life of of not knowing what to do with the the older guts and what he should be doing He's also he's got shaky hands too. Yeah. He's uh but at yeah, least he hasn't those... gone insane like Casca. Uh know, yeah. And lost insane. his mind. As and everyone that, likes the... to repeatedly tell us how insane that's... she is. <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, clinical terminology as well, is yeah. that she has gone insane. Yeah. Um that's why she does the ooh noise. Oh Christ! <laughs> My least favorite noise in all of comics. So, yeah, I I do think it is like a ghost. One of throw a sheet over her for the Halloween special, and you have a ghost. Yeah, that would be somewhat less offensive. Except you'd see her wide, unblinking child eyes peering oh. through the holes in the sheet. And one part of this guts is going blind thing that i actually really love here though is i mean it's quite it's quite fun guts going blind and flashing back to kind of like casca and and then but then he's like that he sees there's branches across the moon and he's like what the hell looks like there's branches across the moon and it what i thought was cool about this is it reminded me of the way in which you kind of can see the veins of your that are on your retina when you have like a bright yeah. light and you close your eyes or whatever. Um, mm. And then it's like, no, the, the, the book is then like, no, there are actual branches of the actual crazy tree that Griffith created um, across the moon. 
Um, and there's a reference to that a bit later on, but it's an incredibly cool idea that this like tree has just encircled the world. And now like occasionally people are like, wait, are there branches over there? But nobody's really sure because everyone's also like, or is it just me? Is it just my eyes? Is this just subjective? I, that's that's a good vibe. I like that vibe. Yeah. And I think it's like a good also this aspect of the one part of it I caught as well. You see the moon, moon boy, moon child. Um, who disappeared from the boat yet again, and uh, he is standing on one of these like ethereal branches framed by the moon, and then he kind of absorbs himself into this branch and goes shooting through it, and then it's a shooting star. And I just like this this stuff as well, like the the branches, and then like, hey, a shooting star is like maybe it's a magic boy going you know through an energy current and it's just like you know and then that shot too you also have like the mermaid swimming alongside the boat and stuff and it's like yeah we are we're not in the same place where berserk started and you know for the ways that he foregrounds the things like the the sea monsters eating each other like the the star wars bigger fish thing yeah, yeah. um and, and like the trolls and the unicorns and like all that really dramatic stuff. There's also this stuff, which is just like, hey, look at this. Like the order of reality is just fucking weird now. There's mermaids swimming alongside ships as a shooting star boy goes through the branches across the moon. And it all kind of like is folded into some aspect of reality with the ship just going across the sea. It's uh yeah, this kind of subtle magic or like magic that is in touch with some kind of subjective experience i think is is definitely more interesting yeah that's like, a good way to put it that it's part of which i think berserk does i mean berserk does that quite heavily because we are about to get like a whole chunk of that actually in a, in a big long flashback but this like confusion between magic and subjectivity um and unconscious like feelings and thoughts potentially being magic and then the fact that magic in the berserk universe at the end of the day is just the manifestation of people's feelings and thoughts about the world um is cool and it yeah i think i like it when when berserk is in that zone of being like yeah what if magic is just you know your weird obsessions and fears and then they just get made real by uh, some kind of force yeah it's awesome this so reading this <laughs> after that last episode and being like you know, I guess we're just kind of, we're just going to crawl to the finish here with Mira's stuff. This flashback part is, you know, like round of applause. Yeah. It's, here he is. He, you know, if the, if the story is a bunch of sheep going in all directions, he's like, he's, he's corralling them back into place and, and reminding you that, that there's uh also the idea too, he hasn't done this flashback with guts before i mean aside from the golden age which <laughs> the world's is, longest is, flashback <laughs> but he aside from that he hasn't done this thing of he hasn't returned which he likes to do and show you know bits from the the character's youth to help explain some of what's going on with them now he's resisted doing that with guts and i think this part is like super well deployed um especially at this point in the story um do you yeah. want to talk about it a little bit to like um i guess it's like simple enough it's a flashback to guts when he's 
a mercenary. He's like what? Like it's pre Band of the Hawk. He's still sort of in the Gambino post sphere. Post Gambino, I think. Or still no, still I think Gambino's probably still alive at this point, right? Because so he hasn't because he's flashing back to Gambino telling him things. It's kind of in his yeah. It's in those years that he worked for Gambino. It kind of suggests that he then just he also worked for random other mercenary bands during that period. Perhaps is the kind of suggestion I guess. Yeah, I think so. Because he's yeah he's captured at the beginning of this, um, and just so much just berserk hits here but they don't feel recycled in like a in a kind of like rote kind of way we get guts like being marched he's been he's a prisoner of war he's being marched with this older guy who's like you know does him the quote-unquote act of kindness of unlocking his shackles they're they're marching in and are shackled together and the old man essentially has used guts as a decoy so that when Guts escapes, he has the older man has a chance to escape. And so we have the right away the berserk thing of of just opportunism and power and like what survival means and kindness. And that all gets, you know, placed into a big spotlight through the lens of kind of magic and belief. And Guts ends up in a prison cell where he's he's being kept because this commander wants his uh son is going to go into battle and he wants him to kill a man first so guts is going to have to uh fight this spoiled knight um and be killed but this this fairy shows up from uh like this one piece of this one tiny little flower that's growing in like the weak sunlight coming in through the bars of his cell and warms him and yeah, do you want to kind of pick up from there about some of this stuff? Because I don't want to just like summarize everything in depth. No, I think it's good to summarize it though, because it is such a neat little arc, right? Like it, it, it is like we just jump back for like one neat, extended but very confidently plotted um, flashback, and it's really, it's really remarkable and interesting. And I agree, it's like very much like Miura being like, all right. I'm pulling up my socks. I'm do. I'm. I'm gonna do it. I realize <laughs> mm-hmm. that I've been just kind of wandering in the wilderness of of like doing something else, and I'm just gonna do this really tightly plotted thing. Um, and yeah, it it you know you yeah you have like great stuff like the 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 you you have the typical berserk characters like you have the the corrupt duke or whatever he is like what doesn't really matter. There's always one of them. Right, there's always mm-hmm. one of these corrupt guys who's like big and 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 kind of puffy and then like yeah, you have this like you have a knight, you have his son who's like this big chunky knight that guts fights and all the kind of berserk elements are in here. Um and you have this little bit of magic with the the fairy that is actually like the but what I love about it is the way the fairy becomes like guts's aim here is like to this gut so guts in order to save guts the the fairy it's the, who's the fairy of a flower like removes all the leaves of the flower um and so the flower dies overnight and so guts is warmed but the flower is dead and, and guts is trying to get this flower out of there's the kind of subplot it's like guts is trying to get the flower out so that the the fairy can live 
Um, yeah, and they he wants just, to re- replant it somewhere, right? Which is something really like the Berserk doesn't actually like it. It's the 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 way the fairy is covered and the way that Guts also subjectively perceives the fairy as being at first thinks the fairy is a hallucination and is just him hallucinating his own weakness he describes it as or his own like youth and naivety um and then it becomes like actually the most important thing for him to preserve while like running through this situation is just yeah it's really elegant and like carefully done and it it's like it's so tight um for a berserk thing like berserk just doesn't berserk has flashbacks but they're usually like too short or they're the golden age but this it really feels like so well paced and it gives this really nice um subtlety to kind of young guts as warring with his own vulnerability and his own sense of trust towards others that he's betrayed by this guy that he trusts but then um and then he hallucinates his own weakness and he kind of like imagines that his problem is weakness and naivety and then in a way like his weakness and his naivety is what helps him escape because it's the the fairy that saves him but it's also like he he kind of like in the 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 final in the battle like he's saved by like the flower kind of slipping out from under his collar um Mm -hmm. and he reaches for it which um takes like stops him getting shot by a crossbow bolt um just trying to grab the flower and this like yeah this is such a symbol for like um, for his his weakness somehow like being a, a, a potential redemptive thing here and then also the guy who betrayed him turns out to be a mercenary captain and he comes in and ultimately saves Guts but not in a kind of like I came back to save you way but just in a kind of classic berserk matter of fact like oh you happen to still be alive I had my own plan here which was that I needed to yeah. take this castle um, and you just happen then- to be part of that and crucially, he offers Guts a bunch of money. Yeah, right. And uh, Guts is Guts says no, and he runs off to try to, you know, revive this flower and the spirit. I think a lot of this stuff works because because we are so deep into this story. Yeah. Um. So I mean, part of that is we know Guts. Um. But part of it as well is we know the themes that Berserk is about. And uh, and I think the specter of Griffith hangs over all of this as well, right? As as it kind of does for a lot of Guts's character. Like we have this great sequence here where he, you know, he's he's pure animal when he's he has his fever and he's wounded and he's uh, in this cold cell, and a rat is sniffing around, and he just grabs it and bites into it and then is drinking its blood to try to survive. And then that's when he sees the flower, right? And it's, um, you know, it's him thinking about these things about his weakness. And we have this tiny little, like, shriveling weed that he's like, well, this is life. This is life hanging on here. And it's, yeah, and that stuff you're talking about where he's like, I don't know if I'm hallucinating this or not, but maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it's like the thing to hold on to, which is like the whole guts thing, right? And there's also, aside from him, you know, he's blaming his weakness on trusting the old man who betrayed him and got him into this this mess. And he also, during that, is thinking back to Gambino using him um, 
in battle as well and saying that his weakness is that he essentially that he cares about other people at all and that there's no room for that he has to he's thinking i have to get rid of that and the story is very much showing that like even in the quest just for like survival just eating rats drinking rat blood survival um there is some kind of magic but not (laughs) like it almost doesn't matter if it's magic like redemptive purpose to giving a shit about other people even as you're trying to just not die um that to me is like that's why i think so much is is like almost like a reorientation after kind of drifting around for a while it's like hey this is berserk here we are we're back here again this is you know sort of like a statement of purpose and being like i don't know it's it's so cool like how it it just kind of recenters things well Um, yeah i agree and but also what's fascinating to me about it is it's berserk without an apostle right like we've we've yeah Mura has gone back or like jumped around between what berserk is as a kind of like monster hunting narrative you know if we think about like how it opens right with like guts killing the duke and then killing the whatever second duke essentially that it essentially repeats the same idea twice in order to establish itself and then mm-hmm. it continues to kind of play at that idea of like guts but what's fascinating to me about this one is it's like guts doesn't he doesn't like kill the 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 guy who's who's put his son in the way here and he doesn't that guy who put his son in his way or his son doesn't morph into like some horrifying beast um and the only presence of kind of magic and fantasy is actually like this hugely positive influence of the the flower and the fairy which like you say also still sits in that really nice um space which always makes me think of pan's labyrinth but this space where it's like the magic is not consequential in terms of events but it is consequential in terms of characters interior journeys um and so therefore it could almost not be magic it could just be subjective experience it could just be um it just plays the role of affecting how people think as opposed to affecting what physically happens in the world and uh, yeah it's 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 so it's so nice it's really well uh done and there's lots of really lovely also rendering of of like young guts's face as he kind of like oscillates between beating himself up for not being cool enough but also being very childlike and kind of like you know falling for this fairy as a kind of beautiful thing or as something very innocent that he he can't help but engage with like he's just drawn to it um yeah yeah no it's great stuff it's it's great stuff it's just like it's blow by blow really good and it made me think again of the the also the like that way that berserk kind of runs along the edge of like some kind of fascist stuff about weakness and you know like eating a rat to survive which reminded me of like killing the wolves with your bare hands to survive and Mm -hmm. the way that it feels like it's going in that way and then it kind of like flips and it's like oh but what if weakness is the thing like what if this this weakness we're talking about is the thing that makes all of this um make sense and yeah i found that really satisfying as well in this story that it, it kind of like yeah and it does it does very much recontextualize it continues to recontextualize guts 
and the kind of edgelord guts that we begin with at the start of Black Swordsman, who's like, hey, weakling, and, you know, is call is like aggressively calling everybody, including Puck, a weakling. Um, it's It's really interesting how this introducing an earlier fairy character is kind of like contextualizes all of those puck interactions which i think is one of the purposes of this flashback seeing as we're about to head kind of into the fairy land um but is is trying to recontextualize gut's own relationship with magic um in a really interesting way yeah and i think it works as well in in his character where you can kind of look back at some of that other stuff and you know it's kind of like how the eclipse was meant to justify where guts starts off in like a very heavy-handed well this is why he you know burns for revenge (laughs) that's exactly this is why he's so why he's so so obsessed (laughs) yeah why he's such a berserk person um but this i think contextualizes things in a very smart way of where it feels like, oh, well, this always had to be there in a certain sense of like, oh, you know, like it makes you think, well, he was such an edgelord after <laughs> after the eclipse in part because, you know, the band of the hawk itself was like a weakness for him. Maybe he's still grappling with this question forever. And we do see him at times like, you know, the berserk armor, I think, like dra- uh, dramatizes this a little bit, too. But the idea of him being like, well, why doesn't he just rip apart all of his friends too? You know, why, why doesn't he just go berserk entirely? <laughs> um, because the thing about Guts ultimately, and I think also what makes, as we see so much in this, the what really makes him and Griffith kind of these like uh, diametrically opposed figures is that Griffith is the fascist leader who has no time for weakness ultimately even if he pretends that he does and guts is the one who his his uh his failure his like dude just loves too much sometimes is like turns out to be the thing that keeps him human you know that is they're both very human but guts has the the redemptive aspect of humanity of of having empathy for others and yeah and it definitely yeah. does yeah like you say it plays very strongly into the guts falling in love with griffith kind of narrative aspect of berserk really and mm-hmm. uh yeah i think like this relationship having this relationship with magic and i i think the way it ends is also I, although i have this i i really hope we never i i, I just have this horrible feeling that when we arrive at when we arrive fully with the fairies or whatever this fairy that got saved would somehow turn up and i really no, hope that never no, happens no, no. because I, I really love the the place we end up here where we just have this this shot of of gut stood in the the field of flowers with his military gear and it just says it's uncertain whether it was reality or a dream that was so long ago yeah. when he was just a boy the buried memory of an early spring day and I just love that kind of inconclusive end to the flashback where it's like, was this even real or was this just something that he thought up? It doesn't matter anyway, because he's probably forgotten it. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's really nice. I like it a lot. I, I don't like the way these fairies talk, though. It kind of <laughs> makes me upset. <laughs> it's uh, a very cute fairy that is, is being very aggressively cute. It, it feels I very It feels very Japanese to me. Just I mean, like 
I feel so popo now. Popo, popo, popo. Oh yeah, that stuff is. It's it's a bit much. <laughs> but I don't know. Whatever. It's, but Miura it, manages it to make it through it without. It's probably like one of the least sexualized fairies that he ever. He ever managed That's true. to draw, and I did notice. There's like a. I don't know if this really holds up throughout this section but i did notice that like as a rendition of the eclipse there's also like a rendition of the classic rendition of casca being tentacled in the eclipse and it's mm. like the most when when guts is like flashbacking earlier and it's like yeah. the most kind of respectful one i've seen yet it's like she's kind of silhouetted but she's not even silhouetted in a kind of like remotely sexy way it's just very informational and i was just like i wonder i wonder if like mira lost the appetite for for kind of doing some of the the kind of like oh well here's an opportunity to do some to get some sexy stuff in but then we're just about to head into a bathhouse scene so maybe i'm wrong yeah i mean not, not just about yeah but it's coming up so we go from i guess there's a there's an elephant in the room here that we're going to have to get at some point. And I don't know if it's the most interesting thing. I think maybe I can't like kind of not bring you up flipping through some of these pages, but um, this is where you start to see that Mira is letting other people do a lot of illustration and it changes things quite a bit in my opinion. Um, but I, I don't know if we want to talk about that that much. You can well, definitely see it in this, it, it, like right now, at least. You can definitely see it in this sequence where uh, we pick back up and, and Rickert and Erica are uh, are like refugees who are fleeing all the monsters, right? And they're heading to Stanconia. Um, that's a little joke for yeah. old people Good they're going job. to falconia you like that joke i was trying to actually in the show notes for the last episode i was trying to figure out a way to make a stanconia joke but i thought yeah no it was, it was a little bit sweaty um anyway so they're on their way and they're you know firing cross uh this like automatic crossbow thing at trolls and blah 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 you still it looks very mira and then we're going to start getting some more and more and more uh, filler episode of an anime kind of look going well, on. Well, so I had this exact thought because it's so obvious. Not here, really. I mean, here there is some. You start to see some of it. But here you can still see the kind of... Like, as we as we get to, like, the big landscape shots, for example, um, after this, like, brief and kind of meaningless confrontation in the um in the forest on the way which is i guess there to establish like the world is scary now but we, we do have a giant a giant chicken we do have a which chicken. I, I forgot about until i flipped to the page of yeah but it's not even that i mean i don't know there's definitely something i definitely something that in doing this like fantasy thing that mura has done there's a bit of like we've lost all of the cool monster designs because mura is kind of rolling out like fantasy monster manual stuff um so it's cool to see a cockatrice but it's not a particularly 
interesting interpretation of a cockatrice. Like the moment I saw it, I was like, oh, a cockatrice. And then I turned yeah. the next page and the, it was like a cockatrice. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, okay. We're all on the same page here. It's a big chicken with poison breath. Like it's appeared in many a fantasy setting. Um, I much prefer the, the Irvine, the archer and his weird sexy wolf. I, I do have to... Dear there's a panel five. when the... There's a panel when the the cockatrice is is glaring down though it's kind of looking head head held high and and looking downward. Uh, I do think there there is, you know, you got to put some laurels on this cockatrice for its um its expressions. It, I think you do see. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's, it's also ex- extraordinarily silly. Like I, you turn the page yeah. and it's a it's a giant chick. <laughs> I guess I'm just mentally comparing it to both the Kelpie and also the incredible goat man. Um from way Yeah, back. it doesn't have it's not quite it's, as fantastic as the goat man, which really just every pose of the goat man was was just beautiful. Um I don't think it's yeah. rendered with the same love. But I do love the way it chomps a guy's head and we have the sound effect chomp. Um, yeah. that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah there's some good stuff in here but no so what where i was heading we can we can go we can circle around if we feel we want to circle around the only other thing is just like yeah i just i still think irvine like we've had this before but like muir is very much like this is a this is a sexy deer wolf man i'm gonna render him in in a sexy way in a way that like just muir doesn't usually try to do with his monsters it's it's like his first sexy monster but um yeah and i think it just as a footnote to that i think it makes him creepy in a <laughs> yeah. way like because he's you know his like the eye is drawn downward by placement of hair toward where his genitals yeah. should be and instead you've got a wolf's back you know there's definitely like <laughs> a, a kind of weird thought experiment where muir is like if you flip to centaur the other way would the horse just be the centaur's penis? <laughs> like if 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 because there's this shot from the back that's just really quite something anatomically. It's quite, yeah. It's it's like quite, quite confusing. But I feel but the posing is very it's a very uh, alluring posing. So I feel like Muir is into this. Whatever he's invented here, Muir is like yeah, this is hot. <laughs> I've invented it because the, the the horse deer thing also has this like very penis like tiny nose at the end of its pointy head. It's very, yeah, it's very bizarre. <laughs> it's a uh, you know what? It's a good design. It's, the more I'm looking at this thing, like yeah. this thing could be over designed with just one more addition to one more it, set of horns. Uh, <laughs> I think it is. Maybe it is overdesigned already, no, but I I don't not. care. It's some it's real horns. teenage heartthrob shit. Like this is really like I feel like yeah, and then but it's also ba- it's like battle ready though too because the <laughs> horns like you can put your bowstring between yeah, them has function. It's like, like it's what if your what if your bow was some horns that grow at the end of your penis? Also, it had legs. It's and really your penis has four legs. Yeah, it's really. <laughs> <laughs> it's a remarkable piece of anatomy um i just love also like the little like the the face of irvine as well 
he's got these little like vampy teeth and like really cool yeah. hair, great floppy ears, and then like these little bony things under his eyes that just make him look so cool. It's yeah. There's a part where he's looking in at the uh, the the cart with the that Rickard and Erica yeah, exactly. are in, and it's him like looking in, sort of down at them, and you're like, oh yeah, this guy is like fucked up looking. This is this would be unnerving. You know, he he has that kind of like Zod level, like look at this weird creature. Um, Mura does like his hairy monsters. He renders them with a lot of love. Yeah, he's he's good at the kind of like the wild monster hair where it's sort of uh, flowing as his mirrors want, but also like he's got a good shagginess to it. Um, and then yeah. we have some harpies that just immediately die. That's what I mean is we're very much in this zone of like, hey, look, harpies. Oh, they're dead. Yeah, but don't worry about it. it it's yeah. But we, we, we arrive at what I was going to say is when we get to the the world spiral tree that's what everyone calls it um and we get to the wing stones all around it like there's some great um drawing here there's some really great like people in the fields yeah. dragonflies on on heads of wheat and crazy like crazy crystals growing between them and and i think from so later on I will bring attention to this when we get to it, but like there is a point very soon where Mura stops working with analog materials, which is is a big part yeah. of why I think you are saying people, other people are drawing it. But from my research, Mura did the majority of the line work for most of this, but really? what he started doing was having assistants do his screen tones and some oh. shading. But I think a lot of it is the effect of digital. He really starts. He really has a very difficult beginning with digital. And yeah, I, okay. I can talk more okay. about the specifics of it. But what I wanted to bring attention to here is just like these clouds around the world spiral tree. This kind of very etching style, complex hatching patterns. Mm -hmm. They just disappear from Berserk completely. Yeah in this way that's quite striking and they get replaced and you know the cut in panel here is almost what they get replaced with which is very controlled like and yeah. that, that's definitely yeah. a digital that you can see it in the in the the way the cleanness of the lines but we lose texture um but what we really lose is like this very doré-esque etching style like build up of scratchy lines um mm -hmm. to create form mm -hmm. and density and texture and yeah i when we lose it i really miss it and um these are like some of the last pages where you actually get some of it like the way he renders these apples in this uh section yeah. like that they're, they're like very textured with well and interlocking even like delicate line work of consistent weight and and yeah it's there's there's a lot of draftsmanship um in these panels you can even look on this on this specific page as well of you have four panels going down and look at the bottom panel in comparison you can see that that is like there's a, a cleanless a yeah, cleanness yeah. to it which is like also you lose i don't know you lose that depth i think it looks more I don't know. You ever do that thing when you draw and then you ink over it and then you erase 
all the the yes. pencil mark and sometimes it looks great and sometimes it looks like shit because you're like you lose the motion of your hand yeah uh, with the pencil yeah and that's what it looks like to me it's like it's it's a, a loss of texture as well i think you're right like you look at these apples and then you look at these these uh stalks of wheat and you're just it's not the same you know it's um yeah no we stuck it's not it's not terrible here though i think just based on density of detail still like you don't i I think we're gonna see some stuff with like character faces and stuff that is is pretty disappointing no there's some pretty rough stuff i think to be honest and what's interesting looking at these four panels i think they're a great example actually because you look at like where we have smaller dragonflies in the third panel Mm -hmm. um it's like all the characters in the background they're all rendered with the same line weight as the foreground material meaning that like the lines are all of the same thickness um and it means that they're rendered with a kind of decreasing level of detail as you go back into the background which gives that real sense of form and scale and it's something you really want in drawing you don't want to have like you you don't want to have an incredibly detailed like character in the background um it's just like there's literally no advantage to it but that's what we start getting we start getting Mura being like discovering he has a zoom tool and zooming in and having guts in the background drawn in incredible in in like a load of detail with like incredibly thin lines that are thinner than the line weight elsewhere in the drawing and it suddenly creates this really weird effect that feels very unnatural and very strange while here we've still got this kind of like more traditional draftsmanship approach um which yeah is definitely a lot stronger and we you know there's some kind of even just some of the dragonflies in this in this scene are just kind of gestural right they're just a few lines they're just kind of captured with like a very delicate touch and a very subtle control of line and that's what we'll we'll also start losing is that kind of looseness actually is that kind of like sketching things out and leaving them sketched because they're low detail and they're in a background and we start getting things being aggressively over rendered um as we leave out of this as we arrive not not really as we arrive in Falconia, more as we arrive later on the the elf island um but there is some stuff in Falconia. i think it starts with yeah so this this is where i really started to be like oh this is not as occasional as i was kind of hoping it would be um but that said i do i do like this this thing of all the refugees like this huge you know again the scale of like this agrarian utopia of and all these refugees coming in they're like you know we have falconia in the background which is uh, it, it also it doesn't have that cool grandeur of like when we first see it and it's like smacking you in the face with how it's an albert spear building you know it's like I it mean, like almost we still get it but it's not there's again there's something about the way it's like first presented when you have those like roman uh like the legionnaire or whatever statues where you're just like blood runs cold yeah this one it's you still get that some of that stuff but it's not well if you if you go over into like city of men the first of volume 38 you start to get a bit more of that right like as they actually go in i think you get like this double spread of like the kind of 
griffins and the Roman soldiers, and then you get yeah. a couple of big shots of it, lit- which are literally drawings of Rome. I mean, you've got like Trajan's column is right there, and you've got like mm-hmm. you, you, I mean, they're also just the Colosseum is appears here. Um, you know, you've also got the Pantheon, you've got like Roman markets, like the whole thing is literally just Mura being like, here's a ton of different classical. He does does a kind of Piranesi. It's very funny actually. In the in one of these spreads, you can see the Tower of Babel in the far distance, and you can see one of the pyramids next to it as well. <laughs> like he's just kind of sketching in um, a ton of material from just like classical architecture into Falconia. So that's why it does have this like hyper fascist feel. Um, there is specific stuff I want to get at with the the line mm-hmm. work later on, so maybe we like shelve that while we cover yeah, the, yeah. Yep. W- while we cover like the Falconia stuff, and then we can come back to it because I think it's really worth covering. But I think some of the most glaring examples really come yeah, I later agree. on when it starts I... to kind of really fall apart a bit. I also think this is a good sequence, just in like in a, in a narrative sense, and I mean even the way it's framed, I I do. Like looking through these again, I do like how it is framed, how you have these, you know, we're really seeing the ordinary people again here and and what life is like for them after the, what do they refer to it as? Like when, you know, the end of the world happened, basically when the big magic nuke went off, like, um, you know, whatever that is, like we, we see people, they're all fleeing. I don't remember what it is. It has a term in this. Yeah. Um, but I, I like the way we see the people approaching Falconia, and then when we see them uh, just absolutely dwarfed by the scale of the city, and when they're coming in with their you know baggage carts and uh, and you know they're all sort of wearing working clothes and everything, and then you have those gigantic statues of the the Roman soldiers, and you have the the hawks like staring down, and it's just you know that 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 classical architecture thing of like you are small in comparison to this. You are not uh, as an individual, you are not as glorious and powerful and, and magnificent as, as the uh, system that built this, you get a great stuff of that. All the, all the things of them kind of winding through the city and, and kind of showing off the grandeur of Falconia is, I, I really like that stuff. Yeah. It's like an Assassin's Creed thing, right? It's like the, the, the kind of, the the running like carriages and there's even like a weird, weird modernity to it. it almost reminds me of like early cinema when like you kind of had people in the soviet union just being like we're just going to film cities and that's what movies will be because this it's just fascinating to just film cities because you have these weird mm-hmm. kind of cart tracks that seem to create like very modern looking intersections that really don't look classical um mm-hmm. and and you, but, but what I was really surprised about with all of this Falconia stuff, and you have this great, like you say, you have this great shot where you're like the cameras or the, the view is like in the market, and you can see just tons of different people. And then we're seeing like behind, we're seeing all the layers. It's, it's really like one of those wonderful books you had when you were a kid that had like drawings of Rome, um, in, looking pristine and cartoonish and kind of perfect. But it, it's an actual utopia which is quite surprising. Like I was expecting we'd get into Falconia and it is, and it would be like some kind of fascist state, but even though it looks like the kind of return of the classical, um, 
the kind of like the, the this idea of like the the this ultimate moment of humanity that's about power it's actually weirdly kind of has this weird egalitarian yeah it feels very much like this kind of strange because there's this whole thing with like the refugees arriving and we have luca reappearing um who was the brothel mistress way back at the tower of conviction and like it's almost like a weird dream it's too it's like you the fact that you have these returning characters i mean you even have like the 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 yoga master is now just like an old man who works in the stables and you have these bathhouse scenes with these like pristine baths that look like cathedrals right and it's something about like a society where the 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 baths which are a kind of you know a space of social discourse and communication are are the kind of like cathedrals right like there is something genuinely utopic about falconia yeah which which, is yeah is which is surprising to me it's like very attractive as a city it's like everybody's perfect classical image of like it's like the kind of history buffs like i wish i was alive in the roman empire version of what the roman empire looked like well yeah we even yeah so there's like past sins forgiven like with the the yoga master there's the kushan army are integrated into the the whatever you know falconia midland regular army here like the the kushan and the midlanders like live in peace and yeah you also see like the the sex workers seem to live without stigma and you know everyone talking about there's there's lots of farming to be done and and sort of each according to their their uh their skills right record comes and they're like well you're you're a good engineer like we're we'll get you a good engineering job don't worry about it um you know everyone is going to be put to use doing what they're best at and everyone has enough and there's there's no but there's there's no homelessness like especially versus Muir's usual renditions of cities right there's literally not a single speck of dirt on a paving stone in all this time (laughs) there are no sweaty little guys with one big eye hobbling around and you know none, none of that going on uh i think that's great because you're like oh so griffith has his his thing now he has his kingdom and look at it's perfect and then you get to and we'll get into this a little bit more you open the wrong doors and it's it's uh bosh going on and then you uh you you dare raise a hand to the leader of the city and you're fucking dead like it's you know i i think there is this thing here that it's still it's like yeah griffith like i think this thing is almost like what if you had a utopia ruled by someone who is still ultimately this like absolutely wild narcissist who <laughs> oh i don't know maybe narcissist is even no it's it's certainly but the idea that here's this guy who like has lived you know it's like here here's the fruits of his revolution and the revolution went perfectly and it's created the most perfect society you've ever seen like the utopia and but don't say anything against this dude because that's it you're done and also this thing is powered by hell energy 
you know yeah like but it's, that's it's that's kind of like a pretty good utopia in my opinion no like, i know it's but like that's... the perfect roman empire fantasy and then when you're bored you can go to the sick demon fight club that's in the middle of it <laughs> <laughs> and like watch Borkovs eat, eat the well, guts out of an ogre like listen the, fact that's... That the moment that they were like because because i was you know put it this way right this is berserk so the moment that they were like they rode through the walls or whatever and they have this shot of like the evil black orb and the bridge going to it and you're like oh there's going to be some fucked up shit in there you know when i think of the fucked up shit at the center of something <laughs> See, i'm thinking of like you're feeding pregnant women into like some horrifying um mass of pulsing people demon things and putting yeah. out demon babies that like eat each other and it's like oh what's in there oh it's borkov your friend borkov like killing a monster in the sickest way possible there's this incredible moment where he gets bonked on the head by a hammer and he just coughs because he's borkov yeah. and yeah. then he he just eats this guy and this uh this this lank head knight um Lo- Mike- locus oh no it's not micro lash is it yeah it's it's locus um locus the, the guy who we know transforms into a weird um mechanical modernist futurist italian sculpture when he fights <laughs> um, I, for- I forgot who it is his look <laughs> his look is yeah pure pure futurism um he He's like, look how horrible it is in here. And because it's Rickett, Rickett's like, oh, it is horrible. But I think on Berserk terms, it's really like a good time in the in the Demon Fight Club. It's just it's, uh... like everyone's like, oh, it's a scene out of hell. But it's really, it's really like this very small looking arena with like a limited audience of weirdos watching other weirdos fight. It's I, you know. I'm not, I was surprised. I feel like he, either Mura yeah. is not really committed to the idea of Falconia being secret. Like it's, you know, it's a Melus, right? But it's not a child being tortured forever. It's like Monster Fight Club, which kind of kills a Melus as a yeah as you, a you concept. Know, I, <laughs> yeah, and the monsters. That is one thing. Like the apostles, especially the the variety that we get here of kind of like your your panel filling apostles where you know lots of big teeth and and tongues waggling around those kind of guys like they seem to like being killed sometimes like it's kind of like a thing that they're like (laughs) it's like like in doom or like gears of war where it's like these demons like they were birthed by a god who is like your entire reason for being is being cut in half like and they're like, yeah, right on. Yeah, and they're mostly <laughs> immortal, right? Like, most of them can't actually be killed by being chopped into bits. So, like, they do kind mm. of enjoy it. They have some kind of, like, mad enjoyment. Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's like the Doom thing of if you go into the the right room in Doom and the monsters are just killing each other. Because that's just, like, how they, you know, shoot the shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just what they get up to. It's, it's their whole thing. I know what you mean. I do think it was maybe supposed to have this feeling, but I don't know. You're right. You know that Mira can go a lot. Yeah, like we, he's he gone can go hard. a lot worse. He's gone hard in the past, and here he's really thrown a softball. I don't know if it's just because it's Rickett. Rickett couldn't handle much more than this because Rickett's a little. 
And Rickard saw one of the scariest. He saw one of the scariest things in all of Berserk. That part when he misses the eclipse no, and that's he goes true. down. Remember when he goes and he sees that fairy the spooky hovering fairy. over the lake? That's pretty scary. That's... But is it as scary as watching all of your friends be eaten by Hieronymus Bosch demons? Mm. You know, mm, no. It's, it's scary not. in a kind of like <laughs> it's a sc- scary in a like a twenty four kind of way, rather than scary in a kind of like evil dead kind of way i guess what evil dead's funny yeah maybe evil dead's not the example uh, anyway anyway a, re- a real life war but, is scary yeah this but this is the way yeah exactly like it's not just like a big meat grinder where it's like oh yeah all the people yeah. who don't pay their rent get put in the meat grinder you know like that feels yeah it's 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 very it's very like, oh, the demons that are really fucked up and like killing each other get to kill each other. I'm like, okay, and what was what's next on the tour? You know, it's to you know to be fair, like they're war demons. Like, like, what are we expecting here? Yeah, <laughs> their, this their is name is like, literally war demon. These are kind of like his metropolitan police, right? So like, <laughs> this is actually a model of how you can <laughs> properly employ the police. You just put them in a in, the a, fight pit. in a hell orb called pandemonium, and yeah, yeah, just let them do this amongst themselves, and yeah. the but rest of the city will be safer. Rickett isn't impressed, and so Rickett goes no gives gives Griffith one hell of a slap, which is really quite fantastic. Griffith has needed a slap for a Definitely. long time. Definitely. Let's be honest. Even Griffith is like, thank you, I I needed that like and yeah. that's what an interesting this is the thing i wanted to get at before because you say like oh you raise the hand you raise a hand you slap griffith you give him a big two panel two page big panel whap you get whap written in kanji in the largest possible letters as rickett does the slap and cardi b megan the stuff <laughs> and rickett mic drops walks out and the thing is 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 it griffith who is like yeah now you must die or is it locus who is literally crushing the banister that he is holding while he's watching um griffith be chill with this situation who's like no no this nobody can slap griffith and i do think that's an interesting premise like you know you create utopia and the person who created utopia everyone is so kind of protective of them that they inherently create like horrible destructive authority around that that you can't have a god figure without basically people who will enforce that like god figures will in with through violence and power and so that's cool i'm into that but it's also very weird for griffith to make perfect utopia and it just to be like yeah this is what happened like He's, but it makes it makes really sense bad in a way person like, just like just he made it work he he gets results <laughs> that but seems to be Mura's conclusion here and maybe that's because i do think there's an ambiguity to it and i do think in a sense maybe it no it does matter but the end result is the same if griffith you know if if his uh cronies here are like even if griffith is like yeah whatever no it's it's cool this this guy's an old friend of mine he can slap me in a two-page spread um but if his his boys are like no that can't stand he's created that that system right but like 
yeah it, it's also maybe a question of like because it's griffith do you look for what's the the dark underbelly here because there has to be one and we've also it's true we have seen like the war demons are they're bad news but they're kind of like contained at this point they're like you know if you had some flesh-eating dogs and you just <laughs> you you kept them in their pandemonium orb and just put them out when it was time to uh chase away squirrels or something um, yeah, i mean we've kind of established that the apostles are like inherently pretty fucked up i mean i don't know if they're pure they're evil we kind of like the pope kind of got away from that so at the very least you could be like what about apostles rights but otherwise it seems like <laughs> they're they're you know but yeah well we saw the you know that that thing where the the end of the kushan thing when he was making falconia and he you know the humans are riding into battle like on the apostles and yeah stuff. that's like, true the apostles and they were like obviously... mourning apostles that died in the battle and like stroking their faces of these weird monsters as they expired. which could mean a lot of things but also at least means that like they're not mindless enough to just kill every human they see um yeah yeah i don't know I, i'm just not sure what the cost of falconia was right like what was it the eclipse is that the kind of calculation that we're making now because that seems to be what this rickett scene suggests right it's like that's what rickett says is rickett in the end so after all of this like when we get a lot of stuff in falconia which i i generally enjoyed the kind of like stuff with luca and everybody else and this kind of community in falconia but it's also kind of a lot of it is fairly inconsequential if fun um mm -hmm. but rickard is specifically like i can't stay here because this place was bought with the blood of my friends that's pretty much yeah. the, the the precise language that rickard uses which is a very like that means that muir is specifically trying to associate the eclipse and then this event um which i find is kind of fascinating because it's also like the scale seems off or weird um but yeah i don't know i just there's definitely something i feel like i'm waiting for falconia to make sense for me um i i think there are a lot of sort of hazy bits that make it hard to like totally place griffith in like this incantation i think mira also and and this may be how it's left unfortunately with this stuff is that we never get Griffith post-Eclipse properly brought into focus entirely. Yeah. Because he is, he's withdrawn, right? Like we are, which I think is one of the cooler tricks from when he comes back in the, the Tower of Conviction stuff, when he's not Femto, when he's like Griffith again. And we know all this stuff and we're like, well, this guy doesn't seem that bad, kind of. And I think we've spent a very long time being like well is he bad like he's creepy but he's also kind of doing some good stuff and you know where is that kind of leading us and it's another part of this section that we're going through feeling like it's recentering things is Rickard talking to him again finally and slapping him and i also like that he says aside from the eclipse he also says that his leader uh the the person he followed was griffith he didn't follow the hawk of light yeah you know yeah, he's like... he, he didn't follow a god he followed a guy yeah um no it's nice no the co the confrontation is is good and i enjoyed it i just 
I guess it's like you're waiting for the other two to drop in terms of yeah. like Griffith coming back. And then it's like, at this point, I'm kind of like, is there even another shoe? Or is it just that Griffith comes back and Griffith like saves most of Midland from the Kushan and also kind of like then, I don't like, yeah, creates Falconia successfully and keeps everybody safe from the demons. Okay, he kind of unleashed the demons, I guess. I mean, I guess that's kind of the other shoe, is that, like, maybe the implication is really that Griffith caused the demons being unleashed. But without Griffith, surely the Kushan just, like, take over everywhere and Ganishka becomes the, you know, lord of the world. So, yeah, I don't know. I I just, it's kind of like, it's fine if Griffith is just, like, really great. But it's also, like, what then what was Femto? Because I think that's the other problem is, like, Griffith was compromised, right? Like, he was a deeply compromised, deeply human character up until the Eclipse. And then that that deeply compromised, deeply human character who really wasn't kind of, like, super evil, like, megalomaniac evil or whatever, but had done some bad shit in order to get what he wanted. Um, Mm. His imprisonment and his torture pushes him over the edge into being this like vindictive femto character but we don't get any real time with femto as a character right we just get broken griffith who is mute and has no tongue and then we get femto the like psychotic rapist and then i guess i guess you know maybe that's he pays the sacrifice cost and then he gets what he wants and what he wants is to come back as an as an angel and so he does come back as an angel. And so he is perfect and pure because that's what he wanted to be and that he paid the cost. So the cost is paid and now he can he can access this. That maybe, maybe that is the arc, you know. It's just... Well, and, and he's... But he's also completely inhuman and there was a humanity to what he wanted before. You know, there, there was... Yeah. You know, thinking about him lying bandaged in the cart when the Band of the Hawk is on the run... And he sees, you know, a tender moment between Guts and Casca and he freaks out, you know, yeah. and he, he tries to force himself on Casca. He wants to strangle Guts and Guts is, you know, that scene where Guts is like, hey, hey buddy, you cold? Like when he's like trying <laughs> to kill him or um, and it, it's almost like that was that was the end of his humanity was was him just fully sort of in his mind humiliated and living in indignity where he decided like fuck humanity it's essentially it's what he wants even though it's in the service of a very human impulse makes him inhuman yeah because he he casts away and in some senses that's like you know aside from a lot of the baggage that comes with it it is like him like the rape of casca is this sort of almost like you know, epic tragedy sort of culmination of, of that, of him doing that to, to someone he loves. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, which, which is anyway, I don't want to get more into that. I feel like we, we can, no, no. We yeah. No, about, I'm we, just, yeah. We talked about that at the time, Thinking but loud. the one, the one thing I was thinking with um, this as well is, and, and part of this, like some of it clarified for me, like, especially as we're, heading into the end of of what Mira did and you know for all intents and purposes I think sort of the the real end of of Berserk part of me wonders with 
the whole scope of this and everything that he's gotten into throughout the series and we've talked about it before how a lot of berserk feels like you know a very you know it's timeless in in the themes it's dealing with it also has a very post-war bent to it it also feels like the product of someone who grew up in the direct aftermath of a failed fascist state right that uh you know um like like nazi germany succeeded to an extent and then was humiliated uh utterly and also suffered like uh in in japan uh suffered like atrocities the world has never seen before and, and hasn't since thank god like it's 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 in the shadow of that and it's also in the shadow of japanese history of i think entering modernity and what does modernity mean um in in the the sense of japan essentially grappling with as a nation as a society grappling with the kind of outsized threat of imperialism heading into like the 19th century when they saw the fate of nearby countries and in some ways sacrificed something enormous to try to not have that fate and then inflict it on others and then living in the aftermath of this sorry it's like a super long-winded way of saying like griffith at this point almost feels like a thought exercise of what if your authoritarian state worked then what does that mean you know like what if you had like when when you grow up and i think you you look at your parents or grandparents if they were part of a uh a militant society a fascist society that's saying we we are superior and we know what is to be done and it's ugly work and we're going to do it and then the new era comes and here's the new era and it is beautiful but you always know what happened or some people are always going to know what happened and I don't know. I, there's something about that, the sort of inhumanity of Griffith with Griffith representing like that, that pure drive to, you know, going back to the dreams of, of that he has and nightmares of climbing the, the piles of corpses to get to the castle. And then the eclipse of, I don't know. All that imagery seems like it, it is something here. Like he is very much the, the ruler of this, uh authoritarian utopia but it is a utopia yeah yeah. i don't know yeah i mean you know maybe the other shoe is coming i'm sure there's a even before we leave the material that miura made i feel like we're gonna hit on a point or i think at the i think you know i think we'll there's surely gonna be a return to falconia in some way because we leave falconia here um with rickard um and Luca and everybody ends up leaving in a slightly <laughs> like wild and random way on the backs of pterodactyls. Um, but the, yeah, I think like maybe the, the story is yet to be, to be told and, and that's why, but I think you're right in the sense that it is about cost and about history and about the, the kind of accumulation of history and the accumulation of, of power. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> Falconia seems pretty chill to me. 
I don't we'll trust see. it. Sorry, yeah, that was I a, mean, a, I mean, a very I, long way to say, I think this is what he's getting into, and I don't know exactly what shape it's taking at this point. No. Sorry, I mean, that it took yeah. a lot of words to say No, that. no, I, I, think, I think you're on. I think those references are really important, and I think there are... I think it's just unfortunate that maybe, I don't know, I feel like some of that stuff is lacking in this Falconia section, where, like, previously, like you said, we had those incredible images of, like, Griffith climbing the pile of bodies, which is, like, an amazing and very memorable way of conceptualizing what Griffith is. And it's like, here we're still on the outside, right? Like, we, we're not... Yeah. Like, I'm waiting for the Griffith flashback, or I'm waiting for the interior, and the only bit of interiority we get for Griffith is Griffith being, like... I'm kind of okay that you slapped me, Ricker, and like doesn't seem to be interested in in there being consequences um, for that. But then other people are. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. There's still maybe things, he's things to happen. Maybe he's got like a, a throne he sits on where all the the ghosts that he summons up to show people their dead loved ones before they go into the cosmos. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Actually, do they go into the the idea of evil? I don't know. In the the idea of evil I, is I, unclear if the idea of evil really exists because it's kind of like a... Maybe we need to yeah. recover the idea of evil chapter in, in our final episode or something, seeing as it's kind of like an illicit section of Berserk that was never supposed to be printed. But um, but what I would like for, to... The forbidden you know, section. To move this... this conversation on what i'd like to bring your attention to is the point at which mm. I, at, at which raxus uh the mm -hmm. assassin uh puts out the fire that is oh. that is on them with the blood of a horse an entire yeah, that... horse's blood and that's the only real interesting moment in this very long um, no no there's one other interesting moment fight scene and but generally what's happening is Raxus is trying to kill Rickard and Rickard and every, all the other characters we've previously seen eventually fly away on pterodactyls and um, Rickard has a rocket launcher for some reason but um but Gareth there is one other interesting part though yeah go on when uh Raxus is uh confronted by the 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 Nobby Nobby boys and they uh stab his mask that he wears yeah and he goes home uh and his mask falls off yeah he's not happy that well i like that too when he goes home and he's like stop breaking my mask but he's just like a blob man and he says that's not necessarily where my head is and i think that's pretty good it was it is good it i mean it's all it gets a bit silly here i guess it, it is funny gets extremely silly because he's like I'm sad now. And then this is great. There's this great bit where he just looks like an Edward Gorey character, if you know Edward Gorey. Yeah. And yeah. Like, he's just like bent over. He's just like a bent over ragdoll. And he's like, mood's ruined. I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he literally mumbles. Like, he's like, you broke my mask. This is not where my head is. I'm gone. <laughs> like, bye. Um, I'm just a blob. I'm just a sad blob man now. Um, and yeah. then there is a bit where the <laughs> the weird leprous Kushan guys with their knobbly muscles and bones. There's also a great bit where Luca's like, yeah. "Some orcs have come into town." Like Rickett returns up. 
with these two grinning like, they're wearing uh they're supposed to be in disguise. in disguise they're wearing like cowls right and capes and they look like yeah just total freaks and erica and luca are, like there with like a cat and they're like <laughs> they're like the orcs have come into town and the guys are just grinning that bit is that bit is good oh and the, but they're also presenting the uh i think one of your favorite sound effects when when they show up and Erica freaks out, they're also giving a loom. A they they do yeah. a loom. Yeah, loom yeah. is a great sound effect. You got to watch out when someone looms at you. Yeah, it's never good. But yeah, it's. I mean, I don't know. This but it's not bad, but this sequence is just bizarre. It's. I just it's, found. I I I just can't accept that the yoga master has like is the stable boy now. It just feels like this thing of Muro having to like run take all of his villain characters and put them back into being protagonists um and it's just yeah. this great bit where he's like uh, he describes himself as an oddball who feels out of place in the new world yeah and it's yeah. just like poor guy what's happening here and then he's some snakes <laughs> he's um and some rats snakes and rats sorry simultaneously um yeah it's it's a bit cute, right? Like, same I mean, thing with the I, muscle guys and their cowls, but them, I think there's an inherent absurdity to them since they first showed up. It's like cute. Like, just their design. I just personally prefer Raxus on fire, pulling a horse out of the stable and cracking the horse open like it's a... That does. Can I say something gross? That rules. I like that. It does rule. I, exactly. This is what I'm saying. I, the cuteness is is fine, but I actually just I feel like I want I need more of that. That's that was just good material. Even the big knobbly guys, they their response to that is just damn. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, I don't know if I saw it. I think I might have a similar response too. I don't know what to say. Like that's the best bit of a horror film. Like you know, I I can just imagine a horror film where like the big monster is on fire and it just like tears a horse in half and puts itself out with the, the blood that comes out it's just like yeah you would remember that scene for all of time if you saw that in a horror film it's such a great yeah. thing see and when when we were talking in the last episode i think about like what we're kind of missing from like the the tentacle fight and stuff you see that and you're like where'd that go bring some bring some more of that back maybe not like sometimes it gets a bit much but sometimes you want, like, Mira is the kind of guy who's like, well, if someone's on fire and they're a monster, yeah. they might grab a horse and break it in half to use the blood to put out the flames. Exactly. Like, that's the kind that's of... a thought process that, that he had. Yeah, that's, you know? that's exactly the kind of kind of out of left field thinking that uh, that we need from Mira. Um, um, the other thing that I think puts me off this section is it's, this is the point when I... Um, I I got to this page of the old man saying that he's an oddball who feels out of place in the new world, which is probably entirely appropriate because that panel looks insanely out of place. There's mm-hmm. the way in which his dreadlocks are drawn is incredibly, it's so obviously digital. It's so obviously just a, a rat, like the standard round brush um, with like a sensitivity on it, which means that it, it just has this kind of strange consistency and smoothness um yeah. and i immediately went to google and was like when did mura switch to full digital 
and um the the response was during the Raxis fight <laughs> was what the internet said so i was very oh, really? proud of myself as as someone who learned to draw digitally um at a, as a teenager that i just immediately recognized what the beginnings of learning to draw digitally look like when you switch from using pencils and uh, and ink into trying to replicate those effects in digital which is something that i did as a teenager and it's yeah you can see that that there's there's a struggle here there's like there's also this incredibly weird thickness of line work and just the mm-hmm. the range of of line weights that you get in a single image becomes very extreme you get like incredibly thick borders on characters and then incredibly thin um lines and then you get tons and tons of um pressure controlled strokes that taper off to like a infinitely thin point which is not what you get when you're using a a pen um and yeah it's it looks weird i i i don't like it it severely impacts my enjoyment of and it, this and it gets a lot worse once we get out of um once we get out of falconia um, the one thing I did hear about uh, Mira's process is that when I think he resisted uh, digital, uh, from what I remember, and maybe this is apocryphal. No, I think he probably did because I mean, this is he was doing this in what 2015, 16. So yeah, that, that is, that I think most ago. manga was probably digital at that point. Like there were, yeah, it it doesn't surprise me. But I I think that one thing is then he was, and then I think there was something about he was resistant with using his assistance as much because he felt like he needed to learn digital better. And then I think the sad thing was I remember seeing something like a, a few months before he died where he had been talking about the that uh, studio Gaga, which is not his friend's studio; it's it's his studio, right? Yeah, and he had a new uh, series, right? He was doing a new series. Yeah, and then his assistants were leading on something. I can't remember. He was doing a lot of work to essentially change the workflow. I think he knew that it wasn't working the way he was doing it before, and he was essentially trying to uh, learn digital and how to work with his assistants better, like how to organize the workflow more, uh, streamline it more to kind of update it. Um, And so I think we would have seen which is sad. And I mean, we still have another section to go that we'll talk about, but I think we would have seen, you know, this being, if he had continued working on Berserk for another decade plus, whatever. Um, I, I think we would have seen that this might've been a blip, you know, of a, a rough patch of yeah, essentially not, not quite knowing how to, how to work in this medium. I mean, it's, yeah, it's just a, I think it's just the screen tones, like the flat screen tones, which are obviously digital screen tones as opposed to like being physically applied screen tones. I think it's just I'm I'm maybe I'm just a I'm also a sucker for that stuff. Like I love the way old manga looks. I love the scratchiness. Yeah. And I think that yeah. Berserk in particular is like the way in which Miura uses um, line weight and um, intensity of um, of line to create like force and volume and speed yeah. in previous stuff. And he's not the cleanest 
if you look at Mura's lines, he's not the cleanest, um, but actually he makes up for that with this just incredible sense of dynamism to everything. And I really think that's what mm-hmm. we we lose. It just everything starts looking very static. Um, yeah, 100%. And, and kind of in even, and that becomes very noticeable as we have the the kind of party arrive at the island and get into this fight that you you alluded to in our introduction with the scarecrows where it's a callback it just really like i mean it's also where you start to see these this this weird thing that Mira's is doing where he's drawing things at different scales and then kind of like so you can tell that panels have been drawn like the the line weight difference is so extreme that you can kind of see that some of the panels have been drawn with like intense levels of detail and then like almost shrunk down to fit into the panel space. And then other panels which are filling large, larger or equivalent proportions of the same page are drawn with a much thicker line because they've clearly been drawn like from a more zoomed out view with a with a brush set to different settings. And it just it's very weird because you just don't get that sense of everything having been drawn on the same page. Uh, it no, feels like that's a good way to put it and it feels like the um the panel arrangements are being done after the fact or they're not like they they become especially during this sequence the panel arrangements become very poor they're just very yeah. they, there's no like structure to them they're very isolated from each other they literally look like individual photoshop layers with black um surroundings on them and yeah, they just like obviously he's still an incredibly skilled draftsman and and the drawing is here but it's clear that what's happening here is he's experiencing the um how easy it is to do certain things digitally and he's just doing them or his assistants are doing them or whatever's happening here and then it's kind of like it it's not working. It's not, you know, it's a language maybe it's just a language that he's not as experienced at using but in particular the the panel of the big scarecrow knocking the pumpkin out of Isidro's hands looks like it's drawn by four different people. Like it's yeah. so, yeah. it's so incoherent. Yeah. Um, he, he does this thing where you get like pure blacks. So like, this is probably really annoying for a podcast, but like, you know, if you happen to look at this, you, you look at like the scarecrow panel and the underneath of the scarecrow's hat is pure black. And it's very rare in berserk previously that you got pure black because mura would build up black with a series of strokes um Mm -hmm. of like brush strokes or pen strokes and so there would always be that texture that sense of like little tiny bits of white that are poking through or little bits of page texture that you got through them and then not only that mura's also you doing the thing which is a very powerful thing you can do digitally but he's starting on a black base and then drawing white on top of that black base here, which gives that kind of woodcut-like feeling. And that, again, feels very different to Mura slowly building up the negative space and the shadows with brush strokes in black. And it's very, very noticeable. Um, and it's especially noticeable here because Isidro is drawn on a white base and then composed over a background. And the Scarecrow is drawn in white on a black base and composed right. over the same background. Right, that's what that is. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening there. <laughs> and it's, That's why you get the sense that Isidro is copy and pasted yeah. onto this. Yeah, you know? he's, because he's drawn in reverse. He's drawn inversely to the Scarecrow. Yeah. And it's incredibly hard to get that right. Um, 
you know, you can draw in that style. Like I, when I first started drawing digitally, I did a lot of drawing because I love working with ink. I did, I did a lot of drawing in white on top of black to get this effect. But doing mm-hmm. both in the same image is is like creates this very strange sensation, which you know, yeah. here maybe Mura was trying to to do something with. It's so obvious that surely he was trying to like make the the scarecrow and Isidro feel um counterpointed but it's just like yeah it's incredibly weird there's just like it's almost like there's no lighting in the entire scene which is also really strange it's uh it's yeah it's bad and that's where we end volume 38 which, and it kind of just like rolls into 39 and um and he which starts- sucks too because you can imagine mira doing this autumnal scarecrows come to life thing with you know just gloriously moody you know, with the moonlight and this like these pumpkin patches and everything. And instead we get this kind of the sequence that you're just like, okay. Yeah. You know? I mean, I don't know if you've seen have you seen the um the covers? Yeah. Um I think the cover to volume thirty nine is kind of embarrassing. <laughs> like Let me see. Oh yeah. <laughs> there's this little green guy to the yeah. right between yeah. some trees. That looks like I don't even know. Like it's such a strange. There's like a realistic yeah. unicorn that looks like it should be spray painted on a van. There's like a cap. Like every character in the scene has a different lighting. Yeah. It's it's and guts has this expression that's like. zoom in on his expression he just looks like what the (laughs) where'd you put me (laughs) exactly but it's it's very much what happens with like digital when you start working in digital and you've got and it's also working with like whatever program Mira's is using like Mira's not trying he's not trying to emulate physical media and digital which is ultimately what i have ended up doing in my work and what most digital artists do now is almost every piece of drawn art you will see is done digitally these days but it we people use software that emulates physical in a much more effective Mm -hmm. way but what muir is doing here is he's working literally with just like round brushes with variable for paintings with variable opacity and for for sketching with with variable like width and it it just it's just so like yeah i mean i think there's bits of photographs or like stock photos in this cover to be honest in the background it's yeah it's uh it's it's really rough it's (laughs) but there's just um, the light the light is so confused and the fact that all the characters are just like generic-ish like fairies riding rats and like i don't know it makes it even it makes me sad guts's expression really says a lot it makes me sad because some of the like panels that you see like thinking back to that ganishka sequence right and how absolutely incredible those um panels of ganishka rising up out of the city are and you're just like i mean you know, this is what a decline looks like, right? I guess, like in reality, this is what this is what doing that work looks like because it looks like you can't bring yourself to do it anymore. I, I that's what it feels but, like to but me. But which is interesting because you also have the 
the change in media, which is gonna, which is gonna, you know. But that's what I mean. It feels like I mean he's still drawing, but he's just. I feel like he's just taking it easy, which is he more than deserves to do because the standard he's set is insane. But it it's yeah. yeah. It it's both the 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 lack of familiarity I think with the with the digital approach, um, especially with like the use of digital screen tones, which also like in this sequence now when you know Isidro starts having this like fl- dotty screen tone on his cape that he kind of previously had, but it suddenly becomes like this really visible thing that just kind of constantly is distracting and. Mm-hmm. There's a, yeah, there's, there's, I mean, there's tons of panels now which are just kind of like drawn at different scales and where the detail is just confusing. Um, yeah, there's, it, uh, yeah, these action sequences are kind of, and also some of just the dialogue sequences are kind of not super coherent. I found myself like sort of stumbling um, in in ways I never had with this before of um yeah just kind of you know the the rhythm of the panels is not great no again i think i mean i'm hoping it clears up but again we're looking at kind of just like square panels overlaid in relatively the same set of um some you know the battle scenes are arranged a little differently but yeah like after this battle scene with the scarecrows and they meet the witches we're introduced to all these new witch characters which i think it probably doesn't help they're kind of like generic witches and then we're you know there's just panel page after page of kind of like yeah very incoherent feeling pages that that have the same panel structure the same kind of like characters saying the same things right like isidro just kind of being funny and it i I don't know like it really feels a bit lifeless and and flat to me um in this final section this this you know the last one the village of witches that we arrive into especially there's like the two spreads there's the one where they're like looking across the forest and it's just yeah yeah it's like incredibly rough um and it just feels like we wandered off especially because we've arrived in this kind of like trad fantasy place with witches and and fairies it's ju- it's just really it's really strange it feels so far from berserk um what's going on ways. with some of these what's going on with some of these faces though because that initially read to me as the assistants have taken over a lot of work and the style's not quite right there are faces here that i don't think can be explained away entirely or maybe can and in, in a way i'm not thinking of are you talking Look about the guts of... stuff, or because some of the guts faces are surprisingly guts? I think is the easiest to see, just because we've been looking yeah. at him for so long. Maybe that... this one of him in the rain is that one of the ones you're thinking of? Uh, was that one? Yeah, that was the the one that caught my eye. I just went yeah. back to it. Yeah, where... I mean, it's just bad, isn't it? <laughs> it's yeah, and and there have been you know obviously there have been some faces before that are not great but i feel like there's a lot of they don't look right kind of it looks like someone imitating mira yeah no it totally does but as far as i understand it that is not the case i mean it could be the case i yeah. don't know from what i read it's very hard to find out information on this from what i read mira at least mira didn't admit to 
getting assistance to draw guts. But certainly people have noticed in this section that like there are repeated drawings, for example, right? Like the same tree oh, really? appear across multiple panels. Um, oh wow! Yeah, yeah and, you, and you'll see that. like repeated posings of of characters. So they've that's why you have that scale mm. thing because that's obviously yeah. like you know if you take a if you do a drawing of a character with a certain line weight and then you shrink them down and put them in the backdrop of a scene you can't like it just doesn't work like I <laughs> I am not even a tenth of the draftsman of someone like Mura <clears throat> but I know that like you can't do that you can't get away with that it just doesn't look good I mean obviously he did get away with it and you know maybe maybe that's maybe it's fine right but from my perspective it's just it is it is very counter to the kind of approach to art that that berserk previously had um i and then yeah, with, that, I, with I, that guts one particularly i think what you're looking at there is the fact that again you've got that like his hair is drawn in black and then white is drawn over the top of it yeah the armor is drawn in black with white over the top of it <clears throat> and then the but then the shading on the face is just really without subtlety. And I think that's yeah. what Muir is struggling with because Muir is using hatching, is that he's using like a pure black, right, with his pen. And of course, an ink pen or a, a brush would not produce a pure black on the page. You get a lot of subtlety of tone. And if you're using something which is not going to replicate that subtlety of tone, then suddenly you lose like you lose the ability to have a subtle sense of form to something like a face, I think. And so I do think that it is Mura also attempting to, like, attempting to work with digital. But yeah, I mean, that I'm sure Mura make... knows better than anybody else, like, what he expects from himself and his work. So it's kind of like, yeah, I, I do, I, I'd be very curious to know but we are talk we are deep into the kind of like real slowdown period for Mura when he, you know, even admitted to just kind of like taking it easy and drawing when he wanted to draw, basically, and having the assistants kind of support him in that. I yeah. I wonder if like I don't know. You hear about sometimes people, it's like guys who are recording the 60s and stuff and then to get back into the studio in the 90s and they're like i don't want to learn this i i don't want to learn how to record digitally or i guess like in the nods and I, I don't know you gotta wonder if at a certain point you just like fuck it you know like we were talking about like the the just the wildness of him just shredding during that Ganishka part and then to go to this and it's like I don't know there's so many things and it would be super interesting if if it was had been possible to hear him talk frankly about I imagine there must have been frustration especially with the fact that you know how much he really put it all out there for so many years and 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 having to to switch your uh your methods and everything and I yeah, don't know. definitely but it definitely adds to that sense of like you know of berserk being in this place where it's not it's it's yeah 
it's it's end it's ended or it's it's shifting or it's become something else already right like that's what's fascinating is i didn't necessarily expect that when we i guess when we began this began this podcast because i'd only ever mm-hmm. read early berserk but that there's this definite shift here and it's really quite startling seeing as it it literally takes place during this <clears throat> this this set of volumes that we've we've covered just now you know in the past couple of hours or hour um is like you the this the style change is quite remarkable but if you look at the kind of pace at which Miura published this stuff, it's n- it's more spread out in time than a lot more of Berserk, which I think also contributes to it a lot as well, right? It contributes to the to the incoherence and to the um to the structure and and to other things like I don't know. It's it's just it's it's fascinating to look and and think of like okay, you're here in this bit which is, yeah, it's struggling. And then it's like, we were just talking about how great that Guts flashback was and how controlled that was. Um, and it really feels like night and day, both in terms right, of yeah, the yeah. art and the panel structure and the storytelling and everything. Like, it's it it does start to feel like it's by two different people. Um, and that is definitely, yeah, it's it's really remarkable and kind of like it feels like it tells such a strong story, but it's a story that we don't have access to. And certainly, yeah, like I did, I, I you know, the research said that I, that I could hear is there were some interviews with Mura that he was kind of saying like, oh, he's switching to full digital, that he was enjoying it, but he's also enjoying like working slowly, basically, um, and not like, I think not putting a lot of pressure on himself. And, and I, in part, I do wonder if... Um, it could be our bias or it could just be the way it is that like the the you know manga can be quite crudely drawn sometimes because it has to be drawn mm-hmm. fast and certainly some yeah, early yeah. berserk is pretty you can be could be pretty crude um, yeah, yeah but i think because of the texture and the energy and the ambition it often gets away with it and i think there's something that's happening here in terms of it's not necessarily that if you look at in at the individual drawings right there's definitely time and skill put into them but it yeah, is the overall structuring of the drawings and the way in which they hold together or the way in which elements within the drawing hold together as well that that isn't quite delivering it and because of the unforgiving nature of the digital tools i do think that you you know you can there's like less energy and more kind of um yeah like everything's just a bit more static a bit less human and so you have to work a lot harder to achieve those effects um and that's not what we're seeing so you 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 know you see stuff that can be beautifully drawn in terms of just like well there's a a lot of lines on the page here there's like a lot of care being put in here but it's yeah it's it's not working in the way that the previous work kind of really jumped off the page and came to life yeah I mean, you have this this one. Uh, it, it goes across two pages, but them sort of walking into the village, and you see this is time taken. This was, and actually, this is like one of the, I think you know it's kind of classic Mira entering a, a impressive new uh, area here where you do. I do like the composition of you have this them silhouetted on this giant log that's going across this canyon and there's a witch flying in the sky as well 
which is a, a neat idea to lead you into them walking into this village. But then you have like, yeah, like there's things here that it's like, well, it feels like go back to it again. You know, this isn't complete kind of, you have the way that they're the, the perspective works when you have all these characters walking into this village and your eye is immediately drawn to this horrible nondescript soldier who just looks again, like he was, and uh, what's his name with the mustache armor? They just look like they were copy and pasted onto the page. And it just spoils the effect of... I mean, there's a lot of other little details here. But yeah, I, I know what you mean. Uh, it's just yeah. hard. To, and it's also hard to imagine. I mean, I, I doubt we'll see. But it's hard to imagine those kind of like really wild berserk panels of kind of the berserker armor or guts like dripping with blood that are kind of rendered with clearly with a brush or a brush pen yeah and yeah. have that like incredible demonic energy and like they yeah they just like glow with this kind of like mad violence um or the kind of like beautifully hatched like medieval battle scenes or whatever right like it's it's like yeah we're, we're no, outside I think of that territory like yeah we can't we can't get back there and um, and that's totally understandable, but yeah, it, it it means that Berserk is a different beast. And so in a sense, like, I wonder if when we get to this, because we, you know, we're one episode away now and we, 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 we have become slightly more, dis less concerned with the plot, I guess. Um, but it's not like there's anything particularly interesting happening in this final part plot wise, but like the Falcon at, at, stuff in this was cool, but like. Yeah. But as we get here, it's like, will it actually feel like more of a transition into Berserk continuing? You know, less of a thick, less of an obvious line between like the pre-Mura and the post-Mura and more like a kind of gradient between the two, really. I was thinking about that. That's that's where I'm starting to see things being, really. Because already I feel like, well, this is, you know, I'm starting to think of that Guts flashback as kind of like the last yeah. of its kind right um and the ganishka yeah. sequence is like the last of its kind like we, we we're not going back there and and berserk but berserk wasn't even heading in that direction anymore right like it, it if mura had lived who knows but it's that's certainly not what what mura was planning and i imagine that mura was in building his studio and in working more with assistants was also intending to to also you know try to look after himself and try to like rest on the yeah. the laurels of yeah. the incredible work that he had done and not feel the need to actually push himself to the limit with every single volume and every single panel and every single page which is certainly what you know we've talked about this before but there's bits of berserk where you're like yeah you can really feel like this is somebody who's just really going for it in a way that's just when you look at the schedule when you look at you know, when you think about y your a piece of this work goes out every two weeks mm -hmm. on average, it's like, what the hell, <laughs> you know? No, and the, the sheer volume of it is, you know, it's it's wild. Like the just the amount of, you know, if if you were going to draw up your list of top five hundred berserk panels, you would not have a hard time. I don't think. Like it's, and that's absolutely nuts that that someone can produce that much um really incredible 
work that you can even you know just pick out individual bits and say look at how incredible this is and and did it for that that consistently and for that long um which is partially why i feel like there was a point when i was reading this one uh where where i kind of felt like okay it's over you know it and and there's also the fact of we we know the context we know how much is left uh that that mira was uh, the main contributor to to creating and it's just i don't know it is what it is right like i think when you look back at it, it is sort of the the falconia stuff to me felt a little a little more weightless than i hoped it would be the guts flashback stuff is maybe the last in a certain sense like which is maybe good you know it's there is kind of like a an ending there and uh yeah yeah i mean i, I don't was know. looking at that final panel of guts being like you know it in could the be a nice field final panel too and and saying it was just a dream of a time that i was like yeah i mean in in the world of not having an ending which is obviously what we have it's like i could take that i could take that i could like uh saw my deluxe edition in half at that point and <laughs> tape the back page on and tell everybody that was the end of Berserk <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be totally cool with that I was thinking that I wanted to do that at the, the Ganishka um, apocalypse but I feel like you will be ashamed to lose that so I feel the Falconia streets I think I can they're, they're good but we've been there before we, Mura's, Mura's done that before so but yeah but yeah. I don't want to you know I don't want to be I, I feel cruel I feel like no i know i know because that's... i don't i don't want to be uh i don't want to talk down this work but it's just i think it just doesn't come to the standard that that mura himself set right it's not about like oh this is a this is a shitty manga it's more like well this is just this just doesn't in comparison this just doesn't seem to work this doesn't and yeah like you say maybe our perception of it is affected by the fact that we we are ourselves trying to uh, fashion an ending for ourselves here we're trying to like let ourselves down gently we definitely don't want to get to the last mirror bit and be like oh shit like yeah, this, this was stinks. going places like this was right in the middle of something right you know we we're, oh yeah yeah we're, we're, yeah we're crafting an exit for ourselves here but yeah there's definitely something happening here where it feels like Mura was maybe crafting an exit for themselves too, as in like maybe Mura, the future of Berserk was Mura kind of going like, you know what, I'll be, you know, I'll just be storyboarding this in, in a couple of years time. Um, and it Which again going. is maybe, maybe that's in some ways the happy ending of, and yeah, that would have been it, right? Like that's what Mura deserved. Mura deserved to, to live. <laughs> I mean, but to, to, to like, to, continue to build a studio and to to bring in artists who would actually who would have a vision and and to support that and i mean what would you know that i imagine that's that's what any creator would want with something that they feel they're not able to continue um yeah so yeah i mean that's the that's the path here that we didn't get and i guess we're going to get some variant of that but it the 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 sad thing about that is mira not being able to see that happen right and not being able to be there yeah. to, to to build that and to be part of that um which i think yeah. is yeah it must and i think that must be very difficult also for the people for his assistants um 
you know, and the people who work working at Studio Gaga as well, to kind of like have to be caught between continuing, but also, um, you know, n- knowing that they're going to be judged on the basis of not being Mura. But even Mura was kind of like already stepping away from that position himself. Yeah, I think that's the wrong way to look at all of it as well. I, I think there is a, you know, the it's incredibly tragic that he died so young. I wish he had, <laughs> in some ways you can look at like <clears throat> the the kind of the quality of, of the work here, the illustration work, and also some of the, the writing work as well from the last one and be like, you know what? Like that's, it's not human to do what he was doing for that long. And the nice images, yeah, of, of him kind of poking his head in, you know, metaphorically, uh, kind of being the guiding hand and also being able to enjoy the, uh, the fruits of his labors, right. Of doing decades of just astonishing work. It sucks that he wasn't able to, I doesn't seem like he wasn't able to properly enjoy the, the, the payoff of all that stuff and kind of hand the torch gently over, you know, instead of dropping it essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, totally. I don't know, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's true. It, it feels weird to, to say in a certain sense, like, oh, this this work is inferior to what he did before. I think that's what's on the page here. It, it's not a judgment. It's not it's not a character judgment, you know. Um, I think that's always important to think about with, with people's work is it shouldn't be a fucking character judgment. It's like a very nasty way of, I think, looking at a lot of things of, of being like, you know, the, you hear the way people in, in still in the fantasy realm, and maybe because that House of the Dragon is on, but you hear the way people talk about like George Martin being like that lazy piece of shit, that he was never talented anyway. Then, and it's like, fucking come on, it's not a value judgment that people, you know, cannot continue doing what they were doing at the speed and with the fervor they were doing it at. In, in, uh, yeah, especially definitely. Especially indefinitely when you meet with some success, right? And notoriety and perhaps also like look at yourself and you're just like, yeah, wait, I've kind of like I've made one of the most successful and influential manga of all time. And yet I'm still here, like getting up early, drawing like a crazy person all day, going home late, not having a life, you know? Yeah, I, I think there's a point where you, yeah, like you just go, no, I'm like, I'm going to try to somehow get out of this because like, what was the point in, in doing this if, uh, if I can't, in, if I can't live, you know, like this can't exist. In, yeah. And I think it's different when you're younger and when your focus is on success and you're kind of structured around that and you're kind of that you're waiting for that moment. But I think when that moment passes and you've, you've made it and you're in the process of, of then like continuing to make it and continuing and thinking about what's sustainable and what works i think that does shift um and so yeah it's it is it's almost it's not only forgivable it's kind of inevitable really like 
the idea that we expect somebody to continue to create at the same pace is is kind of crazy and of course George, you know the combination of pressure on people who are in this position who are you know especially who are doing serial works right the the mm-hmm. pressure on producing the next chapter and the next chapter and the next chapter combined yeah. with the kind of like way in which that becomes an ascent towards something where you feel you need to build on that and i mean that's yeah like we talked about that when we we went through the ganishka section that it really felt like muris is kind of going like okay we're like we're going there we're going to the heavens we're like doing these massive things and then you know i'm gonna just gonna draw like a Hieronymus bosch tribute page and i'm gonna you know like i'm just gonna go full full guns blazing here and yeah like it's it's uh yeah it's just not sustainable and it's not but it's also not how your brain works like you you can't keep chasing uh chasing this stuff forever so yeah i think it's no and it's i i have little doubt i think that if if mira um had been able and and lucky enough to live into his 90s i think he would have continued on to whatever even if he was just sort of that guiding hand I think he would have continued and would have tried to see I, there is the impulse. I think also what we're saying, like maybe some people would think like, well, don't you have pride in like telling your, your epic or whatever, like concluding it. And I think that's uh, a huge factor. I think also when your epic takes decades to create uh, people, it's a long time, you know, writing something or you know in your case like making a game over the span of years like there's like a marathon element to a creative work that takes you know even five years to make and then or even a year or even a month to make there's there's a there's a pace that you have to do and everything and people are not robots right like they they get tired and um that affects everything creativity is so so much is you get older and you you learn to realize it better like the the romantic artist is not there's a lot that happens in your brain when you're fucking tired and um i didn't mean you know and and that's and that's part of the creative process right like is is learning how to especially if you're lucky enough to be a professional uh making things professionally is also knowing how to you know pace yourself and i think mira didn't pace himself and you know, and again, also George R. R. Martin, not not the same thing. But you you look at that dude and like he wrote those first three books in like three or four years or something like that. Like that's nuts. That's yeah. that's like a wild. That's that's Mira level kind of like all you're doing is sitting at the desk, right? Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah, and but I mean, things feel so different to the people who make them than they do to the people who also receive them. I think, and so I think while yeah. Mira. I'm sure had a very personal and deep connection to Berserk. Things like Berserk feel so titanic from the outside, but from the inside where it's day in, day mm. out, it's hard to feel that, right? It's hard to feel that this is big. So even if you know it's big in terms of like there's expectation from the audience and people want something, but it is still like you will, you, it, it's so, I mean, that, that's the experience I've had, like making things that have become popular is like it's it it's like people take it out of your hands um and they then show it back to you and you're looking at something completely different 
like you're not looking at mm. the thing you mm. made um i mean you are but you're yeah it's it's so it feels so different and you can see that they can see it but you can't see it you can't see, you can only see it reflected in in the way that they're envisaging it and you know i've had that with you know i've i've recently had the experience of having people like send me pictures of like tattoos they've got of like things from my game oh that's wild and it's like i mean one don't do that people don't do that um even if it seems like a good idea anybody could go bad or do a thing and then you don't want to have a tattoo that's like of something that you hate but of of Gareth's face yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> on your like, tattoo over who your would face. hate my face, my face. <laughs> totally unhateable but i think that it's like that's when you really you really think about it and you're like yeah i like i'm really glad that this this does this for you and i have complete you know i don't think that those people are um misguided in any way i don't i'm not saying like oh you know what a stupid thing to do i because i can imagine doing that myself for things that i love but it's yeah. also like something about the fervency of that love it just takes it, it it like takes its own shape its own form that is so much about all the associations and everything and all of the personal subjective relationships with things and as a creator of course you can't you can't possibly touch that it's somebody else's space and so i think that's also the way it works when people think when people try to accuse creators of having pride or because often when you've made something you're like you're the one who's like yeah i mean i know you all think it's cool but this bit's really shit and i know because <laughs> i did it in a weekend and when i was drunk you know you know what i mean like that's the yeah, kind yeah, of knowledge yeah, yeah. the forbidden knowledge of the creator and i'm sure mura <laughs> had the panels where he was like yeah i had I, you know the the like young animal were on the phone and they were like where are the pages and i just did them um you know i just did them and it was 4 a.m i don't even remember what happens to guts in those that section of the story and uh, <laughs> i sent them in and that was it you know so yeah yeah abs- uh, well for somebody else and- they're like you know, manna from heaven, right? When they receive those pages um, in their issue of Young Animal as a as a young teenager, right? As like reading Berserk or whatever and absorbing it and being obsessed by it. And they receive those pages on completely different terms to the way in which they were delivered. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, even think about... Uh, I was really thinking about that last year when I was watching the... Uh, what was the Let It Be documentary called? The Peter Jackson one. Uh, for the Beatles. Oh. It was, was like it... the nine-hour documentary that I ate up with a little fork and knife. Delicious. No, I, I haven't watched it. Um, the the Beatles documentary. Yeah, and it yeah. was um, But you really, you also get, you know, uh, again, trying to think of the scope of, especially something, you know, talking about like a Game of Thrones or whatever, Ice and Fire. And, um or, or berserk or something that goes on for a long time and that same feeling that you're talking about of it being given over essentially or or it having that other importance and then the person or people making it are sort of your job or it's even that's you know there's still blah, there can still be passion in your job but also sometimes you're just doing it um you know uh sir shakespeare the the shakespeare's were uh you know it's sometimes just like just putting in the work yeah you know? just work for hire um, exactly 
I mean, there's famous like, all the stories about artists who just kind of like did stuff to to sell or whatever, you know, and those things are now hung in museums or sell for 500 million or whatever. And they were just kind of like a commission for somebody that the artist kind of disliked. And, and they were just like, yeah, okay, yeah. whatever. I'm just, just, just going to try and it. find a way of making this happen. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like that stuff and what you're saying also about like, you know, what if, yeah. What if Mira was like, okay, I'm just, I got to do these four pages by the end of the weekend. Let's just, no more. He liked playing that game called Idol Master. Is one of the things I learned. Where you got to <laughs> manage the careers of a little anime, like an anime <laughs> idol group. He's like, no more Idol Master this weekend. I'm just <laughs> hunkering down. This sucks. I'm not happy. I'm just doing this. Whatever. It's not my best work. It's done. Uh, but yeah, like thinking of like that Beatles documentary when it's like, you know, the the things that become and in in the case of like a certain level of of creative success. You know, the the Beatles can literally have, when they're recording room noise, people will sit down and listen to like a 27 minute recording of two of them, like barely talking to each other, just like going, oh, that was your weekend. You know, sound of cigarette lighting, silence, like someone farts and then someone laughs and then like nothing, like absolutely nothing. And people are like, please like i need all of this like everything you have to give me uh yeah it's bizarre so i don't yeah anyway sorry no drifted off topic i was just thinking of that kind of like manna from heaven yeah yeah. description no i think it it's true so yeah but yeah i mean what is there other i i can't think of any other important plot or connective details there really i feel like we just arrived at the the village of witches and that's it really it's kind of like we're out yep there's the i mean there are you know you could read the book we could describe to you all the different witches we know their names we just want you to know their names yourself so read the book and that's where you'll find their names we definitely know the names of all those characters right reed i remember one of them was actually called no I'm not confident. <laughs> I was going to say her name was Mordow, but I think that was a, a online game where you yeah, were knights close. and you, and you is, slashed at each other. It's close. She's almost called Mordow. She's the one who has a small little cleavage window in her robe. She's the only one that has that. That's why. Uh, also, you can tell it's not Mira because the shape of her breasts is not Mira style. <laughs> he would we, not. We're connoisseurs at this point. Listen. If I was they're like, not from Mura, they're only sparkling breasts. <laughs> they need to be from the Mura yeah. region of France. I was like halfway being like, yeah, that's kind of a creepy thing to like notice. I've been staring at Berserk for, and so have you, what, like a year and a half now? Yeah, can I tell you a good story before we before I feel we need to close this one out because it's become an ambling ambling towards the end type of situation, which is dramatically relevant. But I'll tell you a good story, which is that my partner yeah. has not been has been complaining slightly, very nicely, but slightly about the large number of deluxe volume berserks <laughs> that take up an entire bookshelf, which elsewhere in the you know, in the same room in our bedroom was kind of like taking up like an entire collection of rich and varied literature but it's like one shelf just looks like a satanist um tomes of leather and um i suggested that now i've moved to a bigger studio i might take these berserk books out of the bedroom and take them to the studio where they can they can live safely and not take up that that 
prized literature space. And she told me that, like, she was like, yeah, but what if I wanted to read them? And I, <laughs> I started laughing. And she was like, what? And I was like, okay, why don't you read one? And so she picked up <laughs> Berserk Volume 1. You know, and she was like, these things look like Bibles. And I was like, uh-huh. And then she opens <laughs> um, opens up the, to the first page of Guts having sex with the succubus and making yeah. some kind of remark. And she says, is this softcore porn? And then she turns the next page and she was like, no, wait, forget the softcore part. <laughs> I feel like this is the perfect, like the wonderfulness of Berserk is I then like dug out some volumes and showed some like you epic show, like, panels of like yeah. what happens in Berserk and where it gets to and all of that. But it's, it's just there's something magical about doing a podcast with this many episodes about these like massive leather bound Bible yeah. satanic tomes that like when you try to be like yeah I do a podcast about this book and then someone's like oh I'll have a quick look and you kind of like no. immediately are like no, no don't buy you. you know don't 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 look in there and then they look in there and it's like is this just just like badly drawn porn and it's like I mean I'm not I'm not gonna say no but <laughs> no listen but what you had to what you should have said uh, is is what you say to anyone. And say, actually, uh, Guts here, this is quite out of character for Guts because normally he would not have been making love to an apostle at this time. That is not what he would have been doing after the eclipse, even if he was trying to trick her into being in a more vulnerable position through which he could kill the apostle. You'll see here, if you continue reading onwards, that Guts is actually a very rich character, despite his name meaning intestines in slang, and that the Saxon blood is actually a rich and... Uh, complex treatise on human evil and the will to power. Imagine, you should have said that. This is this is what this podcast should have sounded like. It should have been <laughs> that exact voice. We should have just sent each other clips like that. They're that like forty five minutes long. Uh, I, uh, Gareth, your thoughts, please. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think if this podcast becomes infamous, it will become infamous for being the berserk podcast that says the least complimentary things about berserk yeah well Over it's runtime but also the most complimentary at certain moments i feel you know there's been enough gushing anyway but yeah i thought i'd, I'd i thought i'd just relay that that nice story about about just the bizarreness of of having giant leather bound tomes that contain like a pulp manga um uh yeah i i keep them in my closet with the, which has a door in my office so that's uh that's where Berserk is Coward. meant to be kept until, you know, until after I'm until dead. The firstborn child some, comes some of Some youngsters age. like, what, what was Uncle Reed into? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Better go listen to that podcast now. <laughs> 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 oh, whatever. Well, There's the no such thing as legacy. <laughs> All right, Gareth. I think that's it, right? I think that's it. That's that's, and it's almost it. It. I mean, it's almost it. It. This was penultimate. Yeah. The the next one is the uh, is the end of Kentaro Mira's uh, Berserk. Why did I trip on saying Berserk that time? <laughs> did you almost mispronounce Berserk? Um, <laughs> Kentaro Mira's Berserk. 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 Uh, so next time we're going from chapter three forty five to three sixty four. The the end.
uh, that's in volumes 39 to 41. That's Great Gurus to Teardrop of Morning Dew. Which, yeah, feels weird, but let's not... Um, I feel like we already talked about things of legacy and all that stuff, so let's save any more weird feelings till next time. Yep, when I'm agreed. Okay, I'm sure they'll come up then. <laughs>